You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Do me a favor, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 3. That's page 725 in that Pew Bible. And as always, if you're new or a guest or haven't heard this in a long time, if you don't have a Bible or you have someone in your life who needs a Bible, you can take that Bible in the Pew as our gift to you this morning. As you're getting to John chapter 3, let me ask you something. Have you ever been overlooked by another person? Have you ever been ignored like you don't exist? Have you ever been in a room with a group of people only to have no one acknowledge your presence, engage you in any way whatsoever as if you were somehow completely invisible? The reason why I ask this is because many of us treat the the person of the Holy Spirit the same way. I mean, sure, we know and sort of believe the Holy Spirit is real, but the Spirit hovers outside of our experience. Sometimes we sense or feel the Spirit, but then again, we're not quite sure. And then there's maybe the fact that we've heard a little bit about the Holy Spirit, and what we've heard kind of freaks us out a little bit. Speaking in tongues, being slain in the Spirit, or some other weird, unexplainable manifestation, and then we start to view the Holy Spirit like that weird uncle or cousin in the family that we always feel awkward around, you know what I'm talking about? That we just can't figure out how to interact with. And I want to share with you, this is when I kind of, as I grew up a little bit, this is one of the other ways I used to view the Holy Spirit. For those of you who don't know this, who this is, this is Uncle Fester from the Adams Family. And when I was a kid and I watched this show, he always freaked me out because he would always just like kind of pop up and all of a sudden he'd be lighting a light bulb with his mouth. That's kind of like the whole, how I initially viewed the Holy Spirit. He just kind of pops up and all of a sudden brings light, woo-hoo-hoo, and then it's gone. <laughs> because we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit, we tend to ignore the Spirit. But last week, we started a new sermon series about the Holy Spirit, aiming to show us that this posture of ignorance, avoidance, we can't afford to maintain it. Together, we learned the gospel ain't no ghost story, that the Holy Spirit isn't like Casper, the friendly ghost. That was my earliest recollection of the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit we learned together is a person, one of the three persons of the one and same God we know as Yahweh. The Holy Spirit, in other words, we learned last week, is the third person of the Trinity that also includes the Father and the Son. And even though the Holy Spirit might be the most unique person we've ever met, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is how God in Christ purposes to be vitally, tangibly, and intimately present, not only with us, but in us. As we learned last week, the Holy Spirit is God's love, God's truth, God's power right inside of us. Today, in order to continue to get to know the Holy Spirit better, we're going to begin to consider the role or the central activities of the Holy Spirit. And for me, they really can be broken down into three major focuses. The Holy Spirit gives life. 
The Holy Spirit sustains or enhances life, and the Holy Spirit extends life. Today, we're going to focus on the first one, the Holy Spirit as giving life. What we're going to do is we're going to go right back to the teachings of Jesus. We're going to listen to the first half of a very familiar conversation Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. We've, I've preached on this, Pastor John's preached on this many times before. So if you have those Bibles open, let's look at the first half of that encounter. It reads, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell from where it comes or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a little encouragement first. When it came to the Holy Spirit, as you can see here, you'll notice from this interaction, Nicodemus was just as confused as we often are. And as I briefly mentioned last Sunday, it took the early church some time to fully get to know the Holy Spirit too. Notice this. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. These are the words of the Nicene Creed, and it's named for the place where it was formulated. And, and just to comment on this, creeds summarize the accepted interpretation and understanding of ideas and concepts in the Bible as the church has developed and grown over time. This, the Nicene Creed, was the next official statement of faith drafted after the Apostles' Creed, which we talked about last week. Now, this statement, the Nicene Creed, if you haven't looked at it in a while, it's considerably longer than the Apostles' Creed because what this represents is about 300 years of spirit-filled followers of Jesus seeking and working together to better understand God in Christ and the gospel, and in this case, the person of the Holy Spirit. A couple things I just want to point out just in this one line from the Nicene Creed. Notice the Holy Spirit is equated, as we talked about last week, with God, hence being called the Lord. Notice the Holy Spirit is perceived as being present and active in our lives, giving or bringing about life. Notice in particular, the Creed declares the Spirit to be not just a giver of life, but the giver of life. And this is very much in line with what Jesus tells Nicodemus here. The Spirit gives life. The person of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus says, is the means to being born again. Now, before we get into this idea of being born again, before we dig into what Jesus says here to Nicodemus, I want to take us on a brief overview of the presence and role of the Holy Spirit in the Bible leading up to this revelation of Jesus. So we're going to do a very quick but thorough Bible study. 
Because while Jesus states here, and you see that line, flesh gives life to flesh, that's only true that flesh gives life to flesh because we were first given life through the Holy Spirit. So the first scripture I want to look at goes all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was empty, a formless mass cloaked in darkness. And then notice the next line, and the Spirit of God was hovering over its surface. In other words, the Holy Spirit was involved in creation, giving life where once there was nothing. The role or work of the Holy Spirit includes giving life to us as humanity. We go on in Genesis. And the Lord formed a man's body from the dust of the ground and breathed into it the breath of life. And the man, notice this, became a living person. The words that are used to refer to the Holy Spirit in the, in the Bible are ruach, that's the Hebrew word for spirit, and pneuma, which is the Greek word for spirit. Both words, as you can see, can also be translated as breath or wind. A common image, in fact, of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is as the breath of God. And this is because the Holy Spirit gives us our physical, our temporal life. And let's just stop there and picture that for a moment. God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, breathing his life into you. I'd want to invite you to take a deep breath right now. Take a deep breath with me. Let it out. How often, that simple thing, do we take that for granted? The very breath in our lungs, the spirit of the living God who gives life to us in each and every moment as we breathe. We sing that praise song. We sang it last week. Great are you, Lord, by casting crowns. It's your breath in our lungs, and we pour out our praise. We sing that song, but I'm asking you, when's the last time we acknowledged, outside of singing in church, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and thanked God for every breath we take. In the beginning, God through the Holy Spirit didn't just give us physical life, though that is profound. The Lord also gave us life never-ending in unbroken communion with God. But as we know, we know this story. We rejected that offer. We rebelled against that invitation and human life as it was created, as it was meant to be, got interrupted, became broken. Human life became broken as we decided to play God rather than relying on the spirit of the living God. Humanity on its own, all of us, when we try to live and breathe apart from God, continue to repeat this folly. Something that's important to understand right from the start, right from the beginning, is the Holy Spirit is not the human spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the human spirit. Our human spirit is what we often call the divine spark, the image of God. As Paul tells us in his letters, our human spirit is tainted or disconnected by our rebellion, our self-will over and against God's will. The human spirit is a broken one, a hungering one, a static presence that longs to reconnect, longs to reconnect to the flowing, eternal, and perfect spirit of God from which it came. Beloved, on our own, yes, we are created in the image of God, but we lack on our own the animation of the Holy Spirit. 
Like Paul says in one of his letters, it's like we have a partial reflection. We live with a partial reflection, but not the fullness of the actual source of that reflection. On our own, with each breath we take, we carry but the echo of the Holy Spirit that first gave us life. But the thing is, eventually, inevitably, our human breath ceases and we die. But the good news, the gospel is thankfully, graciously, from the moment we ran away from him, the Lord had a rescue plan, if you will, a resuscitation or a resurrection plan in mind. And the Holy Spirit, this is so important to understand in the story of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, isn't some late party crasher to all this. Arriving on the scene finally at Pentecost, I'm sorry I'm late. But no, the Holy Spirit has been a part of this rescue plan from the very moment of creation and onward. As we carry on through the Old Testament, we read how the Holy Spirit brought life in the midst of barrenness. How the Holy Spirit brought life in exodus from slavery, how life in the spirit brought the birth of a nation, brought life through the voice of the prophets. And yet repeatedly in that same story in the Old Testament, we witness something. Even as the Lord changes the external circumstances of his people, what's going on outside of them, even as the Lord changes the external circumstances of his people, they always seem to end up back at square one forgetting God's faithfulness, rationalizing their disobedience and misbehavior, trying to hide or deny their rebellion and continually grumbling or doubting the goodness of God. And just a brief pause here. Ironically, many of us exist in this same space with God today. We just, we believe external changes in our lives will fix everything with us. If the Lord will only give us this, if the Lord would only do that, if the Lord would only change our external circumstances, then we'd turn things around. But we always end up back at square one, don't we, when we just focus on the externals. By the way, in case you're wondering, the point of God going through all of this with Israel was not because the Lord didn't think, think it through in terms of how it would turn out that that was God's plan A, like, oh, well, that didn't work. I got to think of something else. No, what we see in the story of Israel, which is our story, is that the people needed to see, we need to see and experience that the Lord cannot just live with us. We need the Lord to live in us. And as you go through the Old Testament, through the prophets who again were raised up, who came to life as prophets through the person of the Holy Spirit, God delivers this very message to his people. It is a message of hope. It is a promise to be fulfilled by the Holy Spirit. And what exactly is this promise? It's repeated in several places, but here's the most famous articulation of it from Jeremiah. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see what's happening here? God, through the Holy Spirit, redirects his people away from externals, the letter of the law, just fo focusing on trying to keep the rules, which they can't, and instead directs them to embracing the spirit of the law, 
our relationship with him, which God himself will make possible through the Holy Spirit. Another prophet, a prophet named Ezekiel, through the person again of the Holy Spirit, receives a dramatic vision of what this is going to be like and is given the words to express how this promise will come to be. Look at these words on the screen from the prophet Ezekiel. God says through him, and I will give you a new heart with new and right desires. I will put a new spirit in you. I shall take out your stony heart of sin and give you a new obedient heart. And I will put my spirit in you so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. What's being unpacked here is the Holy Spirit will give us life in a new way through coming to live within us. This is the promise of empowerment through presence. The Spirit of God, Ezekiel says, will touch the core of the human spirit and realign it back to God's purposes. This is the assurance of transformation, that what is a human possibility, God promises by and through his very being to make a human reality. And furthermore, it goes even, this, as this gets unpacked in the Old Testament, we learn that through the prof, a prophet named Joel, that this giving of new life by the Holy Spirit, this offer, this invitation of God coming to live within us will be for all people. For all time. Again, look at these words on the screen. God says through Joel, Then after I have poured out my rains again, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Again, been repeated over and over in just a couple of quick snapshots from the Old Testament. How is God going to come and live and reside, abide, and potentially indwell in everyone through the person of the Holy Spirit? This now is why Jesus points Nicodemus to the Holy Spirit when Nicodemus pretty much asks how to be in the deepest relationship with God that's possible. And if you are like Nicodemus and you're saying, how can I be in the closest, the deepest, the most intimate, the most profound relationship with God that's possible, Jesus points us to the Holy Spirit. Because the new life God has promised, the new creation Jesus comes to make possible, comes through the person of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. Both our physical, temporal life, and our spiritual rebirth, our eternal life. Just as in the beginning of the first creation, as the Spirit hovered over the deep darkness and chaos of a formless and empty earth, it is not a coincidence in the Gospels when the angel Gabriel visits young Mary that we hear the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High, who will overshadow Mary and bring into her womb Jesus the Christ, Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus the light who will overcome the darkness of this world. It is not a coincidence that Jesus' earthly ministry begins, it comes to life only after his baptism by the Holy Spirit. And after Jesus does all the work that he came to do, when Jesus dies, 
Don't overlook this in the Gospels. When Jesus dies on the cross, we are told Jesus gave up his spirit. His spirit is the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, in that moment when Jesus dies, the Holy Spirit rushes upon the world, giving life, beginning to herald a new creation, even before Pentecost. In fact, it happens as soon as Jesus dies. Do you remember it? The Holy Spirit brings life, already, already begins to bring order out of the chaos of sin and death as tombs were opened. And many of the dead in the faith were raised. My friend, such life-giving work is and can only be the work of the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit continues to bring life, new life like that today, bringing life out of nothingness, providing order and peace into chaos and confused lives, bringing freedom from harmful addictions or habits, renewal in the midst of broken relationships. And then as we go further in the story on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gives life to a ragtag group of believers in Jesus and births the church. For the church, despite how we often perceive it and actualize it together, the church is not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not a business. The church, as the Spirit created it to be, is a community of diverse individuals who otherwise probably wouldn't belong together who are enlivened to become a body, the body of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that is the life of the church. My brothers and sisters, did you hear that this morning? It is the Holy Spirit that is the life of the church. It's not our worship attendance. It's not how much is in the offering plate. It's not how many programs or campuses there are. It is the Holy Spirit who gives the church life. The Holy Spirit is is the giver of all life, physical and spiritual. And if this is true, then there is no life apart from the Holy Spirit. There is no meaningful life today and there is no everlasting life to come without the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Spirit, we are like this empty glove, dangling, right? Aimless, empty inside, powerless. But when the Spirit gives us life, the Spirit is like the hand inside the glove. With the hand in the glove, the hand comes alive, the glove comes alive, the glove can grip, the glove can stretch, the glove can point, the love can grab hold and hang on. There is no life without the Holy Spirit. And the life that the Spirit gives is like the hand that fits the glove. There is no life without the Holy Spirit, but something else that Jesus points out here that's so important for us is that this life the Spirit gives is not ours to control. The life that the Spirit gives is not ours to control. While we have made countless medical advances, while we have had several metaphysical breakthroughs, the mystery of life, both physical, physical life and new spiritual life is beyond us because the mystery of the working of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit moves and works to give such life continues to elude us. 
For all we think we grasp, there is so much about life, the giving of life by the Holy Spirit, we cannot grasp. And that's why Jesus, when speaking to Nicodemus, indicated this would always be the case when he compared to the Holy Spirit to being like the wind, right? As we see here, as Jesus points out, the wind by its very nature is invisible and unpredictable. The wind that blows today from the north may blow from the south tomorrow or from the east or from the west or not at all. Wind exists everywhere on earth. It is continually in motion and may be experienced in varying degrees from a slight breeze to a mighty rushing wind to the destructive force of a tornado. We experience its effects and hear it whistling through the leaves. But the wind itself is totally free of our control. And just as the presence of the wind is evident to us and yet beyond our control, in the same way Jesus makes clear, while we recognize the Holy Spirit, while we can recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit, we cannot control the work of the Holy Spirit. How and when and to whom the Spirit gives life. And for many of us, that may be why we live in ignorance of the Holy Spirit. That may be why we are resistant to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is something beyond our control. And yet, in the midst of that tension of this person of the Holy Spirit that we cannot control, what Jesus says to Nicodemus, make no mistake, is the the Holy Spirit is the only one who can give us life. We cannot control the Spirit, but we must seek, we must rely and depend upon the Spirit in order to live. Again, this image of the wind, it reminds me, just, back, just like back in the days of old, before, before ships were powered by internal engines, sailors, as you all know, relied on the wind to fill their sails and give their boats life. Just like that, we need the life that only the Holy Spirit can give. Back then, if the wind wasn't blowing, those sailors weren't going anywhere. And my friends, if we want to move anywhere in the Christian life, if we want to grow and mature in our faith, in our relationship with Christ, we desperately need the life that only the Holy Spirit can give. And the Holy Spirit gives us life by first bringing us into this world. And then the Holy Spirit gives us life by leading us to Christ. It works like this, and so many of us need to hear this. Beloved, God has faith in us. Hear that this morning. God has faith in us. God puts his faith in us through the giving of the person of the Holy Spirit. So many Christians struggle with the question of having enough faith or any faith in God. And what you need to hear if that's you is that God puts his faith in you. Our faith, in other words, is not independent of the Lord's faith in us. Our faith is a leaning into, it's a reliance upon the faith we have been given that is supplied to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Faith born by the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us life. The question is are we receiving the life the Spirit seeks to give us? God in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, initiates our relationship. 
The Spirit leads us to the cross, opens our eyes to who first hangs there to die, and then walks out of the grave victorious over death. The Spirit gives us ears to hear and understand the Word of God, the invitation of the gospel, to believe in our heart and profess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and Savior. The Spirit does all of this, but we must speak the words. We must follow the Spirit's lead and follow Christ. Because here's the thing, and I know for a long time, part of what freaked me out about the Holy Spirit is I heard spirit and I heard possession, right? Going to take me over, make me do things, say things that I don't want to do, I don't want to say. And anybody who tells you that ain't talking about the Holy Spirit. Because here's the thing that you'll see over and over again in Scripture, and we're going to continue to unpack this in this series. The person of the Holy Spirit is patient, but not pushy. The person of the Holy Spirit prompts us, but does not violate our will, The Holy Spirit will pursue, will pinch, will prod, even convict us. But the Spirit will not force us to engage. God wants a relationship, not a robot. Don't forget that. God wants a relationship, not a robot. What we find in Scripture, and this can freak us out, and we're going to talk about this later, is Scripture actually tells us the person of the Holy Spirit can be resisted. The person of the Holy Spirit can be squelched. The person of the Holy Spirit can even be grieved. So again, I ask, from where do we draw life? Where do you draw life from? Do you draw life from the approval of others? Do you draw life from needing to be needed by the ones you love? Your children? Your spouse? Your parents? A close friend? Because here's the thing, if you're getting life from possessing others, taking and feeding off life from others in order to feel yourself alive, that's not living in the spirit. That's what we call vampirism. My friends, if everlasting love is what we are thirsty for, if being accepted and learning to accept ourselves is what we long for, then cling to the life of the spirit. Receive the warm, regenerative, healing embrace of life in the spirit. Life that is never exhausted. Life that never runs dry. Life that never comes at the expense of another person. From where do you seek life? From where do you seek life? Is it from your achievements and your earnings? Do you draw life from how much money you have? from what kind of car you drive, from what kind of lifestyle you can afford? Do you draw life from all your conquests, from your prowess physically, mentally, sexually? All of these things have a limited shelf life, my friends, an expiration date. Not to mention all of these things can fluctuate greatly along the way. Why? Why have your life depend on things that are here today and gone tomorrow? Why not let the Holy Spirit give you the kind of life that is resilient, that is filled with joy, with peace, fulfillment, and contentment, regardless of your circumstances? In fact, often in spite of them. The Holy Spirit gives us life. But the question remains, are we receiving the life the Spirit seeks to give us? 
I look around this room, and I know many, all of you pretty much, and several of us in this room are cradle Christians, right? Cradle Christians, we call you, because you came to the faith by birth, seemingly by osmosis. You were born into it, right? But here's my question. Have you been born of the Holy Spirit? Because (laughs) this life that the Spirit offers doesn't just come by osmosis. It doesn't just come because you came from a long line of people in your family who were Christians. That life with the Spirit begins anew with you. There's others of us who came here, who were here, who came to Christ later in life. We weren't born into this faith. There's others of us here who said yes to the Holy Spirit once. And you remember that moment when God brought you on your knees, when you all of a sudden looked at the life you were living and looked at the life that God was offering you. And in that moment on your knees, you said yes to the Holy Spirit. But here's my question to you. Are you saying yes to the Holy Spirit every day? Because here it is, people, walking Living by this faith is not a single decision. It is not a one-shot deal. It is an ongoing reliance on the promises and presence of God. It is a leaning into, as I said before, into the presence and life of the Holy Spirit. As the life giver, the Holy Spirit originates the life we have, yes, and consummates the life to come, but the work of the Spirit is not limited to an event completed in the past or to be completed in the future. The Holy Spirit is about the ongoing, continuous giving of life. Where do you draw your life from? Let's stop saying, please, let's never say again, All you have to do is believe in Christ as your Savior without including the truth that our salvation, being a Christian, following Jesus, is also about overcoming sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of you are living a life where you go, I prayed the prayer, I believe in Jesus, I'm good here. And I'm here to tell you, if you think that's where it stops, you are dead wrong. And I underscore the word dead. You're dead wrong. To say that all one has to do is believe in Christ distorts and cheapens the faith that God has in us, that God has given us, again, through the Holy Spirit. It's not that we have to believe in Christ. What does that even mean? How do you know if you believe? How do you know if you believe enough? It's not that we have to believe in Christ. It's that we have to live out of the belief, the faith, hope, and love God has in us. That the Lord has given us in Jesus. That the Spirit continues to pour into our hearts and minds every day. Every day. The Spirit seeks to work in us to free us from the power of sin and death. The old tapes, the tired and destructive habits of our old lives Our life lived apart from God. Our life when we weren't following Jesus, but following our own path or following the path that someone else laid out for us. Every day, the wind of the Spirit aims to blow through our hearts, replacing fear with faith, replacing lies with truth, replacing anger with love, replacing judgment with grace, replacing bitterness with forgiveness, replacing doubt with hope. If you are on the wrong side of that column I just listed, then you are not living your life in the spirit. 
There is a huge disconnect if you say you believe in Jesus Christ and yet you live day-to-day by fear, if you live day-to-day believing lies, if you live day-to-day being angry, if you live day-to-day being judgmental, if you live day-to-day being bitter, if you live day-to-day with doubt, doubt that overshadows hope. Doubt is fine, but if doubt is all you have, then you are not living life in the Spirit. My friends, the Spirit wakes us up to who we really are. And we can say it, but do you understand it? Are you letting it sink in? You are a child of God. The Spirit awakens us daily to who we were meant to be, who we can become. And it's not just a bunch of people who make the approved list at the pearly gate. Who we were meant to be is heirs of the kingdom of God, ambassadors. That's why that word is so precious to us in this new vision and mission. Ambassadors who through the person of the Holy Spirit are privileged and empowered to share God's goodness, the riches of God's love, grace, forgiveness, truth, and peace with others. Others who are spiritually dead, who are functionally dead practically, relationally lifeless. My friends, we don't worship a God of the dead. We worship the God of the living. His name is not I was. His name is I am. And the truth, the power, the hope of that name rings true, becomes real for us through the person of the Holy Spirit, the spirit who is the giver of life. The Holy Spirit did so in creation and the Holy Spirit continues to do so now. The breath of God that gave life to us through the first Adam is the same breath of God that offers us life through the new Adam. Christ crucified, Christ died, and Christ risen for us. The deepest and most profound desire for life we seek but can never obtain for ourselves comes from the Holy Spirit from the beginning of life as we know it into salvation from the life we settle for and onward growing and shaping us for the life eternal, the full, abundant, and everlasting life for which God made us, the Holy Spirit is the giver of life and no other life compares. No other life 